0: Alright, if you have your Bibles, please take them, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. That's way over in the, almost toward the end of the New Testament. Hebrews, we're going to be looking in chapter 6. We're going to wrap up a section today, and next week we're going to begin a brand new series. Um, We're just going to begin a brand new series. I'll let Ian tell you about that. I don't want to steer your thunder, Ian, so next week he'll tell you about that. Next week for we're going to take a little break. Um, Hebrews chapter 6. Promises, promises. We write songs titled Promises, Promise. We make musicals about promises. We make movies about promises. We joke about promises that are broken. In fact, even sometimes, and some people believe that promises are made to be broken. And even if you don't believe that promises are made to be broken, which they're not, but even if you don't believe that, probably all of us have experienced that. Somebody's made a promise. And it didn't last. And, uh, I mean, you think about the number of peace treaties that have been made over the years that, you know, they negotiate peace and it lasts a month or a week or a year or or whatever. I mean, just countless thousands of treaties have been made over the year. I mean, even in our own country, the Native Americans probably had more than 500 treaties, uh, many or most of whom were broken or at least amended and changed. And and so it's hard it's hard for us to understand. Or or think about political promises. I'll give you two. The first one... Uh, you may not be old, old old enough to remember this, but I remember this. Read my lips: no new taxes. Anybody remember that? Y'all remember that it cost President Bush his second term, I- at least in my opinion. You know, uh, just because it was a promise. Here's another one. You can probably identify with this one. June fifteenth, two thousand nine. I know that there are millions of Americans who are content with their health care coverage. They like their plan. And most importantly, they value their doctor or their relationship with their doctor. They trust you, and that means that no matter how we reform health care, we will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you'll be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan, period. No one will take it away no matter what. Does anybody have the same plan that you had six years ago? I, I'm on at least my third one. First, my plan went up. Then my plan went away. I got another one and then it went wrong. And now I'm on, I'm on the next one. So, so here's what I'm saying. Promises, people make promises. Governments make promises. Entities make promises. And they're not always kept. Broken promises seem to be a way of life. But for some, it's much more personal than healthcare and taxes. I mean, not that that's not personal, but, but some of you grew up with an absentee father. Some of you grew up without a mother or an absentee mother or you're growing up without a mother or father today. And, and the reason is they made a promise and they didn't keep it. Some of you have gone through the, and the difficulty of a divorce uh, and the brokenness that comes with that because somebody made a promise. They made you a promise and they didn't keep it. Or maybe you made a promise and you didn't keep it. And and because of that, uh, there, there's brokenness. Uh, some of you lost a job. You lost an opportunity. There was a promotion that, that you were supposed to get. You earned it. You worked for it. But you didn't get it. And someone broke a promise to you, and because of that there is there is some heartache and, and some difficult uh some of you are wounded, some of you have been wounded and hurt through the years uh because someone made a promise, you believed them, you gave them your heart. For some of them you gave them your purity, for some of them you gave them your money, believing that they would do what they say and be who they said they were, and they weren't. And so you're and you're left to pick up pieces of a broken heart. You're left with the pieces of a broken life. You're, you're left with the pieces of, of of struggling to make ends meet because someone made a promise and they didn't keep it. And they didn't do what they said that they would do. And so because of that, when you hear somebody say, I promise, automatically you go, yeah, right. I believe that. And so you're gunshot. because somebody said, hey, I'll do this. And they didn't do what they said, and I don't know that there's an exception in here, unless you're young, uh, but every one of us, somewhere, someplace, sometime, somebody made a promise that they didn't keep. And it cost you something. And the, the deal with promises is that almost without exception, the promise that was broken carried with it some hope. And so what happened is, when the promise got broken, then the hope was lost. I mean, you think about, and I don't know how many of you ladies this is true, but so many girls over the years grew up with a hope chest, looking forward to that day when Prince Charming would come along and he would offer his hand in marriage and they'd get married and they'd live happily ever after. And for some of you, you look forward for that for so many years, but, but the problem was he wasn't so charming or maybe she wasn't the princess that you thought she was going to be. And, and, and instead of living on with that joy and, and, and into the all that you expected, the hope's been lost. And you've had to pick up pieces and start all over again. Uh, others of you, you know, whenever, whenever you lose, because when you lose a relationship, you lose the hope. When you when you missed out on the job or the business that didn't work out or or whatever you you lose the hope when 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 you invest in that relationship and and you pour your heart into a relationship and, and you you know and you give yourself to a relationship and it gets broken then the hope just the hope just happens to get up and go with it and so because that's true we tend to be cynical we tend to think oh yeah. Right, yeah, sure you can count on this, or sure you can count on that. Well, what I want to do this morning is, is I want to I want to introduce you to to a promise that God's made, or maybe refresh your mind about a promise that God has made. And and here's the thing: you can trust this one, you can depend on this, one, and and I'm going to give you the evidence of how you know this this is never going to be broken. And by the way, there's hope that goes with it. And so I want us to look down in our Bibles. There, we're going to begin in Hebrews six. Uh, we're we'll gonna begin in verse 11, but I need to kind of set it up because last week, if you're not here last week, uh, you should probably listen online. You, 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 really need that message. Uh, all of us need that message. But, but anyway, what we talked about there, the danger was that they would hear the gospel and they would hear about the promise and they would hear about Christ. But for whatever reason, they would say, you know what, I'm just not sure. I want to step over the line of faith. And so that was kind of the warning that he gave. And then he says to the Hebrews, he says, but to you, I, I'm confident of better things. Things that accompany salvation because I see some evidence in your life and I see some things in your life that that you're doing. And, And because I see that and because God sees that, man, we want something better for you. And so let's pick up at what he talks about there in verse 11. He says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. Here's our word, hope, until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but rather be imitators of those who who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now watch this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Say, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. We won't talk a lot about that verse But you should underline that because that's the evidence that God is trustworthy. We're going to talk about the evidence. But Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained or received the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it. With an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. Let me pray for us and then we'll unpack this text. Father, I pray in these next few moments that, that God, as, as we look at your trustworthiness, God, that we would see that, that you are indeed a refuge. You're a place to go where there's hope. And God, I know when we talk about brokenness and talk about being wounded by Someone who hurt us and didn't do what they said they would do. I know that stirs up some stuff. But God, I know that you are the God who heals. And I know that you're the God who gives hope. And you're the God that gives full assurance of hope. And so I would just invite you to come and let your spirit, may it search our hearts. And and may this word, this this truth that we're going to unpack today, may it fall into places it's needed so those who may not yet know Christ can surrender. but So those who come with, with scars can realize there's something better that you've got to promise that's, that you're going to keep. And so come and comfort us, Lord. May you encourage us today. And we'll honor you, Father. And we'll give you the glory for all that you do. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I, I gotta move quickly, but I, I wanna kinda set this up. But again, the reason, you know, he said, I got, I'm confident of better things for you, and then he makes that statement in, in verse, uh, 11, that he wants them to show the same earnestness to the full, you could almost put the hat out, but he said, I want you to be diligent to the full assurance of hope, uh, to the end. And, and so the idea there is that, that he wants some, you know, that, that some difficult times are coming, or, or have come, or, or may come, and there might be some difficult things. But regardless, I want you to be diligent. I want you to be earnest to to hold on, if you will, to the promises. And uh, that's a great time, that that word earnestness, or or you may uh, in, in your scripture it may use the term diligent. Uh, the idea there is is to is to do something well and to do it consistently. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, back in, in World War II, there was a, a, a third-class signalman on the USS Astoria. He was, uh, uh, I don't really know what a signalman does, but he was out by the gun. The, the ship got attacked by a Japanese destroyer. And about 2 a.m. August 9, 1942, uh, this gentleman, uh, was was kind of thrown over the over the edge into the water, um, and had shrapnel in both legs, but he had a life vest around his waist, and sure enough, it supported him. And about six a.m., about four hours later, uh, a passing um, U.S. ship in the area picked him up, put him back on his boat, which was in the process of sinking. By the way, the captain. Uh, was trying to get it beached on on, an, on uh, land to save the ship, but they didn't. It went down. So by noon, he was back in the water for a second time, and a second time, this life vest saved him, and he was picked up along with about 500 uh, others. And what's interesting about the story is that he he began to study this life belt. It was made by Firestone Tire and Rubber, and he got to look, and it had a it had a a special number on it, and. Um, So later on, he was home back in Ohio, and he was talking to his mother who worked for Firestone Tire and Rubber. And he said, Mom, it had this number. Can you can you tell me why they put this number on each life belt? And and the mother said, well, the reason that we have a number is during the war, Firestone wants everybody to be accountable for how well they do their job. Everybody needs to be accountable for how diligent and how earnest they are. To do their job. And so he said, well, mom, here was my number. And as you can imagine, it was her who had done the work on the life vest that months and months later saved the life of her son. She was diligent here. Think about this. She was diligent here. He experienced life here. What the writer is saying to the audience, and I believe to us, As you follow Jesus, be earnest, be diligent here so that you'll experience life there. And notice what he says, uh, verse 12 says, I want you to be earnest so you'll have full assurance of hope so that, so that what'll happen? Number one, uh, that, that you, you, you won't be lazy, you won't be sluggish, you won't be slothful. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but you'll be, you won't be indifferent, but rather you'll be faithful. And then he says, but also so you will imitate The faith and patience of the heirs of the promise. Now, I say all that to say, then he gives us an example. And that's what verse 13 through 20 is. The heir of the promise, well, the best example you could give to a Jewish man of of someone that was faithful and patient and obtained the promise was Abraham. He was the man of faith. He was the one who had a promise and God fulfilled his promise. And so the writer says, I want you to imitate his faith and patience. And he said, now here's the example. You say, well, how does all that relate to the promise? So here's what. The, when we look at what happened to Abraham, we can figure out why we can trust God. Because what God did in this passage, uh, the last part of chapter 6, God gives us the reasons why you and me can take God at his word. Here's the, he gives us the reasons why you can know that God will do what he says that he will do, that, that he will keep the promise. Now, before we get to those reasons, let's talk about the promise. Because God made the promise to the Hebrews, the same promise that he's made to us. And it, we see it all over Scripture. But he said, I want you to be diligent because I, I want you to understand this promise and hope. L- let me just share a couple of verses that kind of explain it. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says this. says, we have the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages again. See the connection? Hope. And promise. There is a connection there. Second Timothy one one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. First John two twenty-five, and this is the promise he made to us, the eternal life. Titus two thirteen, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So here's what you need to understand. God has promised us a hope, and the hope that He's promised is eternal or everlasting life. God's promised that. It's available to you and it's available to me. Now, the deal with hope in Scripture is it's kind of different. And many of you know this because we've talked about it before, but, but maybe not all of us. In our culture, when we hope something happens, we're expressing possibility. We're expressing really what we may want to happen, but we're not sure if it will or not. You know, we hope it. You know, we may hope it rains this week, or we may we may hope uh, you know this happens, or, or you know, we may hope we get that promotion that we hadn't got, or we you may hope that guy asks you out for a date, or you you know fill in the blank. We 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 hope something, thinking man, it would be nice if this happened, but I'm really not sure if it will. But biblical hope is different. In fact, John Blanchard here was his definition: uh, hope is biblical shorthand. By the way, anybody know what shorthand is? I'm dating myself here. I, I don't understand because there are about 10 of us. Okay, let me just give us all a, a little lesson. Shorthand is when you take little, I guess, symbols and words, and and you can write a few symbols or words, and, and you can record a whole conversation. Okay, so it's just kind of a short way to express a long thought. What, what John Blanchard said this, hope is biblical shorthand for unconditional certainty. Here's what he meant. What God said he's going to do, you can write it down in ink on non-erasable paper. He says, I guarantee it's going to happen. Now, here's the thing. Some of you have had promises broken. Some of you have been burned. In fact, some of you have been burned by God's people. Some of you have been burned by God's church. You've been burned by people who said, "Hey, I believe in God, hey, I follow God, hey, God is real to me and so in in your heart you're thinking, "How do I know I can trust god' because cause I've met some of his people i've I've hung around some of them and I've been burned so how do you know and that's a fair question. How do we know well, the author gives us uh what I would call um We're only going to get three. I'll give you three reasons. I'll give you three reasons how we know you can believe God. You can take God at His word. You can believe His promise and the hope of eternal life. First of all, because of God's character. Uh, Remember, not everybody says they're going to. They'll they'll do what they say. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. Uh, You may have heard the old saying: uh, a verbal contract or a verbal agreement isn't worth the paper it's written on. That's kind of a a funny way to say that. have you ever learned, have, have you ever had that experience? I'll share one quick experience with, with you. I was pastoring a church in Georgia, it was my first pastor. I'd probably been there, I don't know, maybe we'd been there a year. Uh, Give or take, maybe not quite a year, maybe a little over a year, and uh, we were hoping we to exp- the church could expand. And we, I mean, we were landlocked. We had a motel on one side, and the interstate on one side, and a graveyard on one side, and a highway on the other side. I mean, we had nowhere to go. And so, but this guy had five acres kind of across that road that, that was right across from the church. And so, me and a friend of mine set up a meeting, and and he was like, "Oh man, I'd really love to help the church, and you know, just uh, really want to help, but I can't." You know, because we've, you know, whatever. And But anyway, they were building this subdivision. He said, we just can't give, you know, we'd have bought a couple lots, but they weren't interested. But so I thought, so I got to talk to him. He said, man, I'd really like to build a house. Is there any way I could just buy a lot and kind of bring my own builder and and kind of do my own thing? He said, oh, man, Mike, for you, absolutely. You know, you just pick out a lot. We'll work it out. So my friend said, Mike, I've worked with him you need to be careful and i knew my friend was right but i thought you know i, I mean i'm new i, I got to i mean i got to take this guy as I got to give him the benefit of the doubt right so i gave him the benefit of the doubt i called an attorney and i got some title work done and we got all the work done and you know what i found out my friend was right i had some title work for some property i was never going to get so that that was a that was a couple hundred dollar lesson that, that reminds us people don't always do what they say and the reason is, is it's a character issue. We, the, the reason we don't do what we say is cause, cause we don't keep our word. And it's a flaw that all, and all of us have to some extent or other. And I, I don't want to just throw that guy under the bus because, because to some of you, I've said to you, hey, I'll call you. And I didn't call you. Or, or, or we've said, hey, let's, let's, let's have lunch. Uh, sure. We still have it, or, or, or whatever, and so we've got this issue. You know, this this character. You know, that we we say we will, but we don't. But but here's the thing, um, God's not like that. See, God's different. Look, look down in verse uh, verse thirteen. It says for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, "Surely, surely." I will bless you and multiply you. I mean, you, God made this, he, he just made a commitment because He has He has character. And God does everything that He said that He would do. And in addition to that, it goes on to talk about down in verse 17, which we'll look at in just a moment, that, that God cannot, God can't tell a lie. I mean, God can't. In fact, turn over all the way to the book of Numbers. I don't think this one's coming on the screen. Numbers chapter 23. And uh, we got to hurry, so I'll just read it to you. But listen to what it says. This is so profound. God is not man that he should lie. You, two astounding truths there. Number one, God does lie. Number two, man does. I mean, obviously, we don't, we don't intend to lie. Most of the time. But well, sometimes you do. I say you do, not, not me. Yeah. You know, I had not lied lately, right? But, I mean, we, we, we have good intentions, but, but sometimes it just seems like, or, or sometimes we, we, we plan to do it. We are going to call. We are going to go to lunch. We are going to, and you, whatever it is. But somehow we we don't. But he says God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? See, the issue is God. The, the thing about it is, our character's flawed, but God's not. God's perfect. His nature will not, listen, if he ceases to be perfect, then he ceases to be God. If he doesn't completely do everything he says, he ceases to be God. In fact, I think I may have shared this last week or the week before. Uh, The Bible says even if we become faithless, God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. See, God, God can't break his own nature. And so you can believe God's promise, first of all, because of His character. Secondly, because of, uh, because of His commitment. Look, look down at verse 16 and verse 17 at what He says there. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. In other words, in Jewish life, uh, in that culture, listen, if, if someone, if there was some question whether or not something was going to happen or whether or not something was true, when they made an oath, End of story. When they took an oath, it's a done deal. It was final for confirmation. And so God says to these Jewish people who, that was their culture. It's how they grew up. It's what they knew. He said, he said, God made an oath. God made a commitment. And the idea is that it's, it's, it's the final Confirmation. Now, when you get into verse 17, there's some really interesting words, and, and I wish we had more time to go in detail, but let me just tell you about a couple of them. It says, it says so when God decided to, or desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with a note. Let, let's look at a couple of these words. The word desire, now it sounds like God was just kind of hoping uh, and he kind of wanted that to happen. Well, if he had just wanted that to happen, there would have been another word, but, but he didn't use that word. The word he chose there was kind of, it's kind of like preordained or divinely decided. And so what, it, what the text really is saying there, when God divinely decided, now show more convincingly, uh, a, a good way to think of that is to prove. When God divinely decided to prove to the heirs of the promise, Guess who that is? Notice that heirs is plural. So he wasn't talking to Abraham here. He was talking to Abraham's seed. And you know, Abraham's seed are as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, we, we didn't come through, unless you're Jewish, you didn't come through Abraham's lineage or bloodline. But those of us who by faith have surrendered our life to Christ are Abraham's descendants based on our faith. And so he says that when God divinely decided to prove to the heirs of the promise the uncharacter, uh, the, the, the unchangeable character of his person or his purpose, he made an oath. And so he said, so what God did, instead of just saying, hey, this is my word, and my word's always true, God said, just for you, just so you'll know, I'll swear. Now God didn't have anybody to swear, you know, if, if we swear, and I'm not advocating you do this, but if you really want somebody to believe you, you said, I, you know, Bob, I, I promise I didn't take it. I swear to, who do we swear to? It's okay. You're not, you're not getting in trouble. We swear to God. Why? Because, because you always swear by somebody greater, right? Well, God said, well, there's nobody for me to swear by greater, so I'll swear by me. So in essence, God condescended himself down to us and said, listen, I, I want you to know, I want you to be so certain that I'll keep my promise. Not only did I tell you, but I swear to you on oath that I will do it. Now, interesting, the unchangeable nature of his character, or the unchangeable character. The word unchangeable, uh, I, I want to tell you about it because it, it's just its kind of interesting. Um, what it means, uh, the, the word, uh, and I can't really pronounce it, but the, the root word means turncoat. It means to say this and turn and do something else. But in the Greek language, it has what they call... I think it's called an alpha privity, privity. But they put an A on the front of the word. And when you put an A on the front of the word, it means the exact opposite of what the word means. And, and so the idea is that that God is the exact opposite of a turncoat. And he, therefore, He is, He's made an oath that says, I'm willing to do exactly what I said that will do. Now, now, think about this. Some of you... Some of you got married and it was to a turncoat. Some of you worked for someone and they, they, it was, they were a turncoat. They said they were going to do this, but rather they turned and they did something. Some of you, you gave your heart. Some of you, you gave your, your purity, your body to a turncoat. Some of you, you get, you've given money to someone and they were a turncoat. And what the writer is saying, listen, listen, God is the exact opposite of that. If you give your heart to Him, if you give your life to Him, if you take Him, it's impossible for Him to do anything but exactly what He says. And so that's the, that's the picture there. He's the opposite of Turco. But let's go on and, and see what when, when we come to God what we kind of get out, out of the deal. Verse 18 says, So that by two unchangeable things, what are they? God's Word? God's oath. By two unchangeable things, it's impossible to God to lie. So in other words, God's character won't let him lie. God's commitment, God's pledge, God's oath says, Absolutely. I'm good. I'll do what I said. I'll do. And so that's why that... Remember I told you to underline where it says, Abraham obtained the promise? Because God proved himself to be trustworthy. He proved himself. To be faithful. But I want to talk thirdly, real quickly about. We've talked about his character, God's character. We've talked about God's commitment, His pledge. Now let's talk about God's cause, God's purpose. Look there in verse eighteen. A uh, couple things that you really need. You need to get this. Uh, actually, verse. Uh, let's go to the middle of that verse. It's impossible to God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Some of you remember the song. Um, Shout to the Lord is kind of the big, the big song 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago in Christian circles. Uh, you know, uh, shout, you know, my Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there's none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love, mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. That phrase, tower of refuge and strength comes from Psalm 59 verse 16, but it also comes from the Old Testament. Uh, God offered a refuge to people. Now, here's what I want you to understand. And I'm going to explain it, but I want you to understand. When you come to Jesus, you're coming to a refuge. You're coming to a refuge. Now, you say, well, okay, what's the big deal? In, in the Old Testament, it, when, when God gave him the law, what would happen is, um, man, if you're if you out with your buddy and y'all were chopping wood and you were chopping away, you know, you're helping him cut some wood, and the ax head come off of your axe and hit him in the head and he died purely an accident but his family could have an eye for an eye tooth for tooth in other words they could take your life now that didn't seem right so they so what they did is they set up cities of refuge and so when that happened, if something like that happened, you could run to the city of refuge. And if you stayed within the boundaries of that city of refuge, the family, you, you were free. You were free from that guilt. You were free from that punishment. You were free from that penalty. Now, what would happen? Now, if you went outside the city, you went outside the boundaries, yon, yon. But if you stayed in the city, they couldn't harm you. They couldn't punish you. You didn't face the penalty. Now, now here's what's... here's This gets is, is interesting. When the high priest died... You had to stay in that city till the high priest died. But when the high priest died, you're free to go. And when you went outside of that city... What's the high priest died? When you went outside of the city, they could not touch you, punish you, or penalize you for what you've done. Now, think about this. When you come to Jesus and you bring your guilt and you bring your sin and you bring your mistakes and and you bring your brokenness and you bring those scars and you bring all that stuff, you come to Jesus for refuge. Think about this. Jesus, our high priest, has already died and been raised from the dead. And so when you bring all that to Jesus, he sets you free. You don't have any guilt, you don't have any shame, you don't have, there's no way for you to be punished or penalized for something you did. And so what the writer is saying to us, that, listen, God's purpose, God's cause for you and me is to come to Jesus and be set free. To be, you know, to to have that and to have all that taken away. Now it, it really gets even better. Look down there, and so you got, so you come to Jesus, you come to this refuge, and, and you're going. Yeah, but I'm not sure. You know, how do I know that's going to happen? How do I know that that's true for me? Look what it says there, in in the next verse. It says, "We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of or anchor for the soul." A hope that enters to the inner place behind the curtain. Do you know what they used to anchor for back in that day? Still the same thing now, but obviously they wanted to secure their their ship or secure their boat. But what often happened, the harbors then were different. They didn't have them all dredged out. You know, they couldn't go up the rivers and all that. And so what would happen if they would come up to a harbor, if the tide was out, they couldn't get the ship into the harbor. And so what they would do is oftentimes they would take the anchor, put it in a boat, and they would take it over into the harbor, and they would anchor the ship inside the harbor. And even if it was on the outside, and even if the winds blew, and even if the storm uh, battered the ship, it was held safe by the anchor, right? And so what the writer is saying is that when you come to Jesus for refuge... He anchors your soul, not inside the harbor, but he uses that term, behind the veil. Remember in the Old Testament, the high priest went behind the veil once a year. He could only go one time a year. He had to make all these offerings. He, he couldn't take anybody with him. Who Whose presence was in the veil? God, right? And so what the writer saying? listen, when you come to Jesus, God anchors your soul to the presence of God. And so even, even if you're still here and even if life, if the winds blow and even if the lightning flashes and even if the thunder rolls and even if, even if things are tough here, you can promise God because he's anchored your soul inside the veil. And so what the anchor, what the anchor does is number one, it keeps you from, it keeps you safe and secure. But you know what else an anchor does? An anchor keeps you from drifting. If you're out on, if you're out on the lake fishing and you find a, a honey hole, what you want to do is, uh, you want to drop your anchor. Cause if you don't set your anchor, you're, you're going to drift. It's amazing how, cause, cause you can be out there in the water and you, you look like you're in the same place. You don't seem like you're moving, but if you don't have an anchor, you look up before long and man, you way out there. Some of you, that's happened to you spiritually. You've come, you've given your life to Jesus, you believe in him, but you hadn't really set your anchor and you just drift. And before you know it, you look up and go, oh my, I'm I'm not where I used to be, not where I want to be. And so listen, you need to anchor your soul to Jesus. One last thought, and and, uh, this is... I think it's even better. Look at verse 20. We have our, um where Jesus, behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, a high, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The, another, since we're talking about ships and boats, uh, William Barclay, a Greek scholar, says about this word for forerunner, uh, the word in the original represented, uh, was used for a small boat or even for some soldiers. But but here's the thing. The grain ships, the corn ships that would come to the port of Alexandria, uh, what they would do is when they got to the port, they would send out a small boat, a small vessel, and it would go outside the harbor, and it would make contact with the ship. And then the, then it, the little boat would turn, and it would guide the ship... Into the harbor. It would guide it to safety. And it would guide it to where it wanted to be. That that ship was called the same word as our word forerunner. Now here's what I want you to understand. Jesus came. Lived perfect life. Died on a cross to pay for our sins. And he's gone into heaven. Into the presence of God. And he is a guide for you and me. Into the promises and into the blessings of God. God wants you to have the hope of eternal life. God wants you to experience the promise of all that he has. But in order for you to get that and to have that, you've got to follow that ship, that, that boat, that forerunner. His name is Jesus. Remember what he said in John fourteen six: I am the way The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I want to tell you, God's hope for you is eternal life. His promise to you is eternal life. You can have it for free, but you can only get it through Jesus. It's the only way you can get it. You say, well, you know... In God's character, in God's commitment, in God's cause is proof that he'll give you what he said he'll give you. So the question is, have you surrendered control of your life to Jesus? If not, why not anchor your soul to him? He'll take you into the presence of God. You'll have life eternal have a refuge of freedom and forgiveness. And y'all, it's free. You just got to accept it. Let's pray together. As you bow your heads, I, I, I want to say I man, if you've never given your life to Jesus, please, please, please surrender to Him today. He wants to anchor your soul to the God of the universe. Forever. But I need to say a word because there's a secondary truth here that I want you to to get. Because some of you here, there's some brokenness and some scars. And there's some wounds there. And, and I want you to understand that Jesus is your refuge. You come to him. And he'll set you free from that. And I don't know what it looks like. I, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what the heartache is. Maybe maybe some things happened to you. Maybe, maybe some things happened because of you. And there's guilt there. But I'm just, I'm just telling you, He is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. And so I would say to you, if you're a believer, but you're struggling with some stuff, man, bring it to Jesus. Anchor yourself to Jesus. He'll set you free. If you're not a believer, why not come today and give your life to Christ? Why not turn your eyes on Jesus? Father, would you have your way in every heart? Would you have your way, Father, in every life this morning? And we'll give the glory and the praise to Jesus. In His name that I pray. Amen.